So I guess we'll do the usual. We'll start with me, and then we'll go to Chris, and then Paul and Aaron, and we will keep the cycle rotating. So I guess I'm up first, and I will go in, and I will write my name, and I will write my score. My score for Vampire, the German classic from the 30s, is a 6.9. 6.9. And don't forget... We cannot change our scores once That's a score good. has been seen, my friends. Well done, well done, Lance. Do not cheat. <laughs> Just because I don't like it doesn't mean you don't like it. Chris, if you do a 6.9, everyone's going to get mad at us. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's a 6.2. <laughs> okay, Aaron can rest easy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I ha- hey, Aaron, I haven't seen Chris in a week, so there's no, there's definitely nothing going on. That's probably why your scores are different. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, Paul Jackson, let's... Oh, pardon uh, me. Oh, here we go. Let's see what the... Oh, my God, that's funny. 7.3. 7. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, I am going to throw a 7... Wow. Okay. Seven six from Aaron. Okay. Beautiful. This is uh, this oh, is great. Let's find out what the uh, mean average is here. That is a solid seven for. Yeah, that's fair. That's that right. is a that's fair, fair score for that movie. That yeah. is a very fair score for that. Variance of okay. <laughs> Variance of okay. Good. Yeah. Just over the good bar. Yeah. Is good. Is sevens good? Yeah. I don't even yeah. remember what I what we said about our our yeah. tiers of scoring anymore. Yeah. But seven feels right. It seems like we're all relatively within the same uh, zone of, of ranking this film. Um, of course, it's a bit difficult. I think we're all going to probably appreciate some of the same things about it. Mm-hmm. But 1932, um, they obviously didn't record sound during the film, but added it afterwards. Um, what would you guys classify this as? Uh, experimental horror? Yeah, I think experimental horror. I think you're you're totally onto it if if um and i think this is uh this is a great starting point i because it's interesting i thought there was a stoker reference uh there really isn't this um this story borrows from a series of short stories by an irish writer i think got his name sheridan lefanu um and I'm sure it's a bit more Gaelic than that, but I figure for the uh, two or three Irish people who are watching right now, they'll, they'll afford me a little bit of room. And it's based on a... Uh, <laughs> no, Paul, that's wrong. No, no uh, you're not from... You're don't not pronounce the, you're from don't Dublin. pronounce it wrong. <laughs> you can't get so there, Dublin. Yeah, Come on now, Paul. We are an extremely oppressed people. You could at least get our, our, our work right. Potato famine. Well, it's funny. He was potato very famine. involved in, you know, for God. But, uh, yeah, that's, you're, you're spot on. This is experimental horror. Uh, you know, I understand the people, you know, are sort of our, our, our uh, 20th and 21st century horror directors have probably paid a little homage to this. There are some... Uh, I'll interject real quickly. Yes, the reason why it's in our catalog to begin with is because it's on none other than Guillermo del Toro's list of must-watch films. So that's how it got in there because I do have great respect for that man. Carry on, Paul. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're spot on. This is, uh, this is experimental horror. It was based on a gothic horror story, I believe called Carmilla, um, that actually introduces lesbian uh, vampirism, which might have been really fun to explore back in the 1930s. But, uh, of course, that uh, was not explored here. Maybe it was intimated with the old woman at the beginning that she was maybe the vampire who would be lurking uh, through the rest of the story. But um, there were certainly no uh, love overtures between herself and the two sisters. So I figured 
that wasn't the case. But yeah, definitely experimental horror. Uh, something where um, I would be surprised if Aaron, given that he gave it a 7.6, you know, couldn't really key in on some of these uh, cinematographic moments that were really beautiful. Uh, shadow. <laughs> we all know that's why it scored high for Aaron. Exactly. Man. And, yeah, right, right and, so. <laughs> and I, I don't need to put words in his mouth, so I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, well, you're exactly right. We'll certainly get to Aaron uh, on, on the cinematography of this film, which is why it ranked as high as it did for me as well. But Paul, while we still have you, Stoker, you referenced Stoker, that is the classic Dracula story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're sort of referencing how, you know, the Stoker's Dracula would have been a Dracula who's walking walking around with fangs, attacking its mm-hmm. victims. But in this film, we didn't have a physical vampire. We sort of had, uh, what would you call it, an energy? Yeah, kind of an energy. Uh, you know, because the in supporting that, uh, I guess the use of light, the candle, the shadow, uh, any of it, because it was very atmospheric. So you kind of felt like there was this energy. Um, and then there was certainly power in these dream sequences. So whatever, you know, this this energy wasn't anthropomorphic. It was just something there that's represented the way that, uh, you know, Dreyer chose to move, you know, from scene to scene. So it was like, you know, you couldn't point to something and say, that's what I'm accustomed to in a typical sort of vampire um so sort of a much more of a general sort of demonic presence in this mm-hmm. little town yeah. rather than a walking, talking vampire. Uh, an interesting, I, I mean, obviously, this this is probably a rarity as far as how you depict a vampire goes. I don't think many people have done it this way. Um, so whatever this demonic force's intentions were, it, it would use sort of, I guess, one example of how it would enact upon its prey was using the quote-unquote shadows of men to do its killing for it. So, of course, we have that one scene where the soldier's shadow creeps in and kills the housekeeper and then sort of goes and and rejoins the body without the body Mm -hmm. really ever being aware of what its shadow was doing. Did I get that interpretation correct? I think you're right. I I think you could probably thematically unify all three films that these are movies we're going to be talking about. I'm sure that's why this movie gained traction after it was critically panned. Uh, an audience pan back in the 30s, uh, just probably a misunderstanding of what was going on. But I think it's gotten traction because we're having these kinds of conversations. You know, is that is that what Dreyer meant by that use of shadow in that moment? And I, I certainly think it is. And because it certainly plays into an idea that this is this uh, non-anthropomorphic vampire energy force is, you know, permeating uh, evil everywhere. Is it too far-fetched to say that these sort of forces do do actually exist amongst us? For example, right now, our world is in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. I mean, you could say that certain sinful behaviors are being promoted in our society. I mean, lust is rampant. This is not a new thing. This is throughout the history of human beings. There are sort of forces at play without getting too into religion. I mean, do you guys think that he was... do you think that he was trying to make a movie that was supposed to be, you know, this fantastical thing? Or is he maybe commenting on, on, on real-life stuff and using vampire as a metaphor for, say, lust? I well, wouldn't I, say lust. I would say disease. Go ahead, Paul. No, no, I was going to say, yeah, like, I, you know, um, I don't think, yeah, like, to your point initially, Chris, I don't know if there was, like, lust, but I, the idea that, you know, what theme is he trying to drive home and... Um, to your point, Yoshi, and I think to Chris's point, so I won't, uh, you know, be too long here, is just, you know, the disease, that disease element, something insidious that exists um, 
here among these characters and then uh, more broadly in society and how it's you know so infectious and um and obviously can lead to a death um but yeah it's a sinister force that uh you know is definitely in our society you know chris hold your and certainly today chris hold your thought the reason i use lust as an example is mm -hmm. just because the the what does a vampire do it sucks blood and so i mean vampires as a whole across the board could be a metaphor for lustful behavior for the need to stay young for the need to absorb other people's life energies so that you can selfishly be more powerful chris what were you going to say well i think so traditionally and i, I didn't want to jump in here to to say you're wrong but like traditionally in in a vamp vampiric story it is not just about how the vampire gains power there are a lot of dark forces at play when a vampire is present so if you want to use the bram stoker dracula idea uh in the surrounding areas surrounding his castle there are he has control of wolves he can turn into mist and do certain things he can kind of read who's there and read their thoughts and a little history behind this this movie is technically the first uh vampire movie right is it it was delayed on purpose before bram Stoker's dracula the traditional universal studios it was delayed by like nine months so the movie was finished and then it just got shelved People think because of an influence from Hollywood, because they wanted to be first. They wanted to have wow. a vamp uh, vampire film. And see, uh, that is a vampiric move by the studios. It, is. Right? Mm -hmm. it very much is. On <laughs> par for Hollywood. That's yeah. good information, Chris. So technically, this is the first vampire movie, but it was shoved aside because of Stoker's already established vampire mythology. Well, and also because of the American exceptionalism in early film. Because, like, you had these big, silent film stars coming out of America, and, like, I mean, yeah, you had these great directors, these great cinematographers coming out of Europe, but, like, there wasn't an establishment that could fund and could, you know, throw money, basically, to get things stopped. So, like, the Americans were kind of the bully in this, and they won. They and it's interesting, because the irony is the the book from our Irish writer yeah. uh, came out, you know, I think 20 odd years before Bram Stoker's Dracula. I think it was mm -hmm. right before the, uh, the 1900s. And, and this, this story came out, I think in 1870, 1872, something like that. Did Stoker really sort of establish what a vampire was? I mean, it sounds like before that, maybe there were only these sort of Gaelic interpretations of this idea of a demonic force rather than an entity with things. Did Stoker invent that? He kind of conflated a lot of things together. So, like, the traditional form of a vampire, actually, there's, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but there is a, a kind of a pseudoscience where if you measured a person's skull and, like, certain kind of areas of the skull would tell you different things. And so, Soker goes into great detail of what, what Dracula should look like. And the most accurate depiction in film is actually Nosferatu. He has these long, spindly fingernails, this kind of like sloped head and a huge mustache. Like, and if you go back in the history, this study of like trying to see who could be crimin like criminally, uh, you know, inclined, uh, where they'd measure your skull and everything, he fits that like that idea. And uh, t slight tangent: the part of the reason why they weren't able to catch Jack the Ripper. It's because they were looking for a criminal when they, they should have just been looking for a guy who was committing crimes. They were looking for someone who fit a description of a criminal. And Dracula is the embodiment of that. 
The embodiment of what a criminal is? What, a crim- what they thought a criminal looked like. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's so interesting to see through film and through books and, all, and pop culture how ideas can start in one sort of stage and, and, and people borrow ideas from other people and create their own versions of things. And now we see all these different interpretations of the idea of what a vampire is. For, and, and people are just building off, off of other people's interpretations of that. Aaron, um, so remind me, a 7.6 was it that you ranked, ranked this film? Yeah, I gave it a 7.6 um, just based off the cinematography. Great uh, shots. Yeah, I just put my mind in the uh, cinematographer's shoes and just kind of, I really watched this film from camera placement, you know, where he was able to put this camera in 1932. And that was so innovative, you know, inside the co- inside the coffin, you know, getting those shots outside of the the window while the, co- while the coffin is uh, being taken out, you know, so you get to see this whole different perspective you're looking at the sky and the buildings passing by as if you're the person laying in the coffin you know and then the vice versa with the actor i mean he was a great actor he he didn't blink once you know he, he was actually the um the producer of the film he had never acted before uh he said hey i'll give you the fucking money bro but put me in the movie yeah and, and so actually i think the only actor in the film was the woman who was uh possessed by the vampire mm-hmm. mm. So yeah, so yeah, great shots. Uh, that again, that's why it ranked as high as it did for me. Sort of the limitations in my research, I, I I learned that there was sort of limitations that Carl had to work with because of how small the the house that they were filming in was, and that actually led to some inventive maneuvers that he that he did that he was the first to ever do. Another example, I think we've had one in the past. I'm having trouble recalling which film it was, but the example of limitations bringing out inventiveness um and you could i hate to always bring it to the pandemic but we're all sort of limited right now and and that might be forcing us to do things differently and and be inventive with the limitations we have um yeah there's one shot i'll bring up or or maybe it was two where he did this a couple times where our, our main guy there entered a room and then the camera would pan and then you would see our character and he'd be the first character you would see Again, but he had come from behind the cinematographer, and then we find him on the other side of the room. From what I can tell, I think that was kind of the first time that's ever happened in my history. Yeah, that's yeah. Talk about more of the shots that you really appreciated, Aaron. Yeah, um, you know, it really felt a lot like the, uh, that, the Haunted Mansion. I don't know if you guys have been. Yes, very the much ride, so. You know, with the shadows on the wall and the dancing ghosts and the the floating wheels and just like this fantastical world he got to explore through shadows. And I mean, how exciting is that? It's like, you have all these limitations with like a lack of special effects or a lack of whatever. I mean, let's point a a light at the wall and see what we can discover through shadows. And I mean, it's just, it's whimsical. It's haunting. It's, it really adds this element that there is a second world that we're, kind of stumbling upon you know which is exciting it's like i don't know you know this is so early on 1932 to be doing something like this did anybody get cartoon vibes from this sorry no it's okay cartoon vibes interesting go on like it was very much so we 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 were watching i don't remember when it was but we were watching that cartoon where it was the 
like he was a dog and he goes into that haunted house and the like, skeletons kind of chase him around but you go through the house and there's like skulls in the walls and the skulls talk like, try to bite him like it, it very much seemed like i mean the the kind of dip into the unknown as as campbell's would say would be the him walking outside and seeing the guy crossing the the lake or pond or whatever it was, and then ringing the bell with the scythe. That was he like, we are now in the world of the unknown. Supernatural things are going to happen. And it's like, all right. And I was, I was there for it. And like, you got all those shadows, you got all those like weirdo skulls on the walls and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's almost like they hit. Yeah, yeah, because I'm trying to figure like what work he had to do for his audience. Like, you know, I'm I'm, I've got to keep leading them along. Uh, And yeah, I think the comic book uh, aspect is kind of fascinating and it may have been a device he chose to use. But, yeah, I see what you're uh, I see what you're getting at. There was certainly in a way. There was certainly an appreciation on my end as far as like thinking about the time this film was made and then being able to imagine myself making this movie right now. And I was kind of picturing Aaron and I, even though Aaron wasn't with me, I was kind of picturing having a conversation with Aaron about it. I was just kind of thinking like, yeah, man, like I don't want to rank this film too low because like we could, you know, obviously our camera would be a little more steady now if we made this film and, and, and we'd probably be able to record sound during the process. So maybe it'd be a little cleaner and a little crisper, but I could imagine us having a real good time making this movie right now and being really happy about what we came up with. So so that's why there, there's respect there as far as him doing this in the 30s and, and having the cojones to do it and being as experimental as he was. Very avant-garde mm-hmm. kind of vibes with lots of the shots. The indoor shots were more crisp and the outdoor shots certainly had some kind of filter over them and it felt very dreamy. Yeah, how did I wanted to get into that? How do you think they? I don't know the technical aspects. How did they make him opaque? Yeah. How did they get that ghost vibe? Were they layering the films? Like yeah, some sort of I would imagine some sort of filter that softens everything. Yeah. But just on him, not the whole environment. The environment uh, was solid. I certainly saw a lot of shots like with him walking through the woods where the, the trees almost felt like they were animated. It didn't even seem real. Yeah. But the indoor shots where he's opening things and he's definitely a ghost. You can see through him. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Like the yeah, shot how where did they opaque him. How did they? Shot, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. There's a shot where he's sort of leaned over like this and then he moves up. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's when he sort of splits into two. Yeah, Let's we don't have that. editing. We were piecing <laughs> together film. <laughs> yeah. Frame by frame. <laughs> yeah. How many frames a second is this? Does anyone <laughs> know? Is it 24? Yeah. Okay, I was assuming it was less because there's so many uh, jumpy, you know, like when they're walking through the woods, suddenly they're well, really quick. Also, there's there's the history of this film. This film that we, I'm assuming everyone watched it on the Criterion channel. Yeah. Yes. It is it is a amalgamation. So they took two film strips together and like had to piece it together because this film was shot in three different versions because they had the English version, the French version, and the German version. And what we saw on Criterion was actually the remaining bits of the last bit of film between the French version and the German version. Wow. And that is the only thing that survived. What do you mean? Like they shot it multiple times? Yes. So the actors were chosen because they could speak and or mouth those three languages. So when you were finished with the scene, you would redo the scene in another language. So you but there's no English it. version of the film. Not anymore. Ah. The original negatives are gone. Correct. That's what I read. In the, well, in the beginning of the film, it kind of breaks that down. Mm-hmm. 
says like the original negatives are not to be found. Yes. Um, is, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I did notice after I watched the film that there was an, a, a, a um, Criterion version where they made it a little easier to read the subtitles because mm-hmm. I think we all probably watched the original version where the subtitles are over German text. Yeah. So it's a bit hard to kind of read. I don't think that really affected our viewing uh, pleasures too much, but um, let's talk. Let's try to let's try to figure this out because I think that maybe I ranked it a little low because I didn't really understand what he was trying to do here. So so maybe that's on me, but maybe we can try to figure it out. For example, why does he die? Why does suddenly the assistant innkeeper kind of take over the protagonist role and read the rest of the book uh, to figure out how to find this woman? vampire's grave and, and killer and why does he split into two why does he become a ghost does any does anyone have any ideas i mean that's the major criticism of the movie is that yeah. the plot doesn't <laughs> make sense the plot doesn't make totally. sense because the whole ground doesn't really yeah put together well I, I sort of made it a mission of mine to be a little nicer on this show no which is, which is why things are going nice and, and soft right now but I'm trying to I'm trying to challenge myself in these moments here because yeah it, it did feel like uh, it was sort of just like ideas thrown together and I mean for example a big part of the film is just text helping us understand what's going on um, yeah I didn't really understand the splitting into two I didn't really understand how in the afterlife he was still a part of the solution go ahead Paul well I think. I think there are some that believe that was a dream sequence that, you know, as he was giving blood, he passed out. And if I've got the sequence right, and then now sees himself and realizes, am I now going over to exactly how we started this conversation, this sinister force? And then we have this perspective of, um, you know, him being carried away. And then he sees himself and then realizes, I've, you know, we have to... Um, what is happening next? And so I guess as a viewer, I too was wondering what is happening next? <laughs> you know, where, where does it go from here? And um, I don't really have an answer, but it was for me, at least that, that was more of a less death, more dream moment in the film. For me. How did he die though? Like, I don't what, think he died. That's the cause thing. of death. Dream sequence. Well, if he, did, if he didn't die then... on the bench and he drifted away, Right? Yeah, so possibly it was a dream sequence, but I guess why it's hard to believe it was just a dream sequence is because we never really see him come back out of it. Typically, if you're going to have your character fall asleep and have a dream sequence, we're going to we're going to confirm that later on in the movie. I guess there wasn't the really man in the coffin too. What's that? Isn't he the man in the coffin that's being walked yeah. out? But I guess the idea is that that's part of the dream. I mean, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's confusing. I mean, also like we haven't even talked once about our Mark Twain looking motherfucker who. Uh, the doctor. <laughs> the doctor. Yeah. The doctor. So, so the, yeah, so the uh, the doctor was a servant of the vampire. Is that? Yeah, presumably, yeah. Okay, but he's conscious because this, our soldier, who was a shadow puppet of a vampire, didn't seem conscious of his actions, whereas the doctor, let's call him Mark Twain because I like that, mm-hmm. uh, seemed By the very... Way, Josh, you would play that character if we remade yeah. this movie. Oh, thanks Absolutely. very much. It's a huge compliment, bro. <laughs> We'll, we'll add a Dr. Van Helsing if you need it, you know, just to sort of make us... <laughs> that dude's eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that, I guess that guy was a journalist in real life, so also a non-actor. Um, great, great face, though. Wow, that guy, oh. that guy was great. Um, so, so, okay, let's try to explore that, and then we'll wrap it up because we're already over the time. But 
uh, he's a conscious uh, mm-hmm. servant of the vampire who ends up in some kind of mechanical basement locked behind fences, and I, I have no idea what any of that meant. I Chris, can explain that. And, everything, he gets and he's being covered in flour or yes. something. So, in traditional, <laughs> in traditional vampiric lore, you can either be a thrall or you can be a familiar. So a familiar is, if you're familiar with the Dracula story, that is Renfield. So you are, you're not brainwashed. You merely want to serve the vampire because they promise you everlasting life. They promise you power. They promise you whatever they want to promise you. Yep. And then there is the thrall who is forcibly put into the will of the vampire. So the, the soldier would be more of a thrall and the doctor mm-hmm. would be more of a familiar. Um, well, thank then, you for clarifying that. And then the that end, he gets locked in a flour mill. And so not only does he get crushed by the flour, he actually suffocates because you can't breathe in that because it's, it's flour. It's heavy. So he, the, the I wonder what the, oh, God. no, I just wonder what the metaphorical purpose of that whole thing was that it's above my head, but, uh, <laughs> cool shots though. Like that yeah, whole last yeah. sequence was really cool. Cutting yeah. back and forth to him being covered. Um, and then it was going to them. <laughs> Every time I think of a scene, I'm like, what did that mean? Them on the, on the boat. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Who are they looking for? <laughs> Who are they looking for? I don't know. Ah, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that someone like him getting covered in the flower felt very similar to wages of fear where they're like covered in the oil. Mm. I was like, how weird is it that we watched two movies where it's these intense scenes of being covered in something that's smothering you and killing you? Mm. Well, that's great foreshadowing for our next conversation, Chris. Let's get that clip up for wages of fear. Okie dokie. <laughs> 